Good evening, everyone. Good to see so many of you back. It's a joy. I really enjoyed a Saturday morning, and now to be back with you to close out this wonderful 40 hours of the for this parish of Cathedral. We start with surrendering yourself to Jesus. Surrendering oneself to Jesus. Wanting Jesus more than anything. Wanting to be with him. Wanting to be with him in everything. Surrendering oneself to Jesus, which is about all kinds of things, surrender of the will, etc. But surrendering to Jesus. And then uh, yesterday morning's talk, Saturday morning's talk, was about growing spiritually, spiritual maturity, growing. One could say following Jesus, listening to the voice of Jesus. And uh, I really wanted to, to stress in that that it begins with growing in awareness, the grace of awareness, right? The grace of that God is real, that God is really with me. It all starts with the grace of awareness, that what we believe aren't just ideas, but living mysteries that are real. And so growth in awareness results in growth in relationality. Right? Because without awareness, stuff is ideas, and we think about ideas. We don't have a relationship with ideas. And so when awareness happens, this idea becomes a real living reality. And so now I relate to it. Increase of awareness growth in awareness, growth in relationality, which then results in growth in desire. And growth in desire results in growth in receptivity. And that's the dynamic of one's life. And uh, the, the specificity I was hoping for yesterday in that regard, we, we did Alexio on the rich young man, right? And I wanted to point out how this rich young man followed that sadness that was in him. Go, sell all your possessions, and then come, follow me. And it says his, his face fell and he became sad. This sadness, everyone, is not the purification of God. God didn't make him sad about following Jesus. The enemy did. We call it spiritual desolation. And when you follow this sadness, just like the rich young man, you leave Jesus. So isn't that good news? That Jesus doesn't want you to follow that. Everyone, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who started the Jesuits, his great concern for you and me in being unfaithful to God wasn't about getting all wrapped up around pleasures and consolations. His concern was that we would believe this heavy, sad, demanding voice, discouraging voice as being God's voice. And we follow it. This is his great concern. That the friends of Jesus know that's not God and don't follow it. But takes your heart away. Uh, so that was yesterday morning. Isn't that fun? I haven't even started my talk yet. 
And now tonight, tonight I want to shift uh, gears a little bit, surrendering, following, and just uh, bearing fruit with Jesus. Bearing fruit with Jesus. Good people, the, the, more, the more we live in this uh, world that's moving more and more away from God, more and, away, more and more away from the practice of Christian faith, the more those of us who've been given that gift need to bear fruit. This isn't just about saving your soul from hell. This is about bearing fruit. Saving other souls. I just told my OCIA class on Sunday, if I get up to heaven and there's no one up there who would have gone to hell without my priesthood, I'm going to be mad if you can get mad in heaven. My priesthood better result in someone going to heaven who wouldn't have gone to heaven if I wouldn't have been chosen to be a priest and responded. And the same goes with your life. We're supposed to bear fruit. To get excited about bearing fruit. And as you know, the fruit of Jesus is about largely about, about receiving love at the cross which now turns everything into my life as good news. Like this terrible place is the very place where God comes and loves me and does all his great work. So, um, bear fruit. If you read the, if you read the chapters, uh, the Gospel of John, basically 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, where they're sitting around the Last Supper table, it was a long meal. I had a meal that long in Rome one year. Um, anyway, it's, it's these five chapters, and over and over and over again, Jesus is saying, I want you to bear fruit. And he starts with, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, and you'll bear fruit. Remain in me, you'll bear fruit. Remain in me, you'll bear fruit. The key of remaining in him is what I talked about yesterday morning. That rich young man has to stop following that sadness and start standing there before Jesus or he doesn't remain in him. And he goes and works at a soup kitchen, but he doesn't bear fruit because he's not in Jesus. Okay, so the mission. I want to, uh, just two, it's gonna be, it's gonna be brief. Just uh, two little, uh, Two little action steps for you to take after this outpouring, outpouring of grace in this parish over these last 40 hours of you people adoring Jesus. We adore Jesus. We don't just believe in Jesus, we adore Jesus. We adore him. Um, and so I want to talk, uh, one flowing from the Eucharistic life, you coming, receiving the love of Jesus in his presence, and then uh, the result of that. And then I also want to give one on the Eucharistic revival. Uh, and uh, we'll begin with the Eucharistic revival first. Guys, I, I trust, if, if you haven't made a commitment to be intentional about living this Eucharistic revival, Our bishops 
The successors of the apostles all agreed on that. And this day and age, to get all the bishops to agree on anything is a pretty big deal. When that happens, we should say, wow, God really wants this. You and I are being called to cause a Eucharistic revival. And so, what should we do in that regard? This is what I uh, encourage us to do. So often we focus on mass attendance. So often we focus on, gosh, fewer and fewer people are going to mass, less and less are going to mass. But the grace that started the Eucharistic revival happened in Bishop Robert Barron's mind and heart when he read, and he says it right in his uh, book, happened in his mind and heart when he read this pew form survey that said two out of three Catholics don't believe what we believe about the Eucharist. It wasn't about who goes to church or not. It's about believing having right belief. But guess what? When you don't have right belief, guess what you do? You don't go to church. Everyone, the root of the problem is we're walking away from the truth that God has revealed. Your, your uh, rector is a canon lawyer. And so he knows this principle well. Lex orandi, lex credendi. I have no idea what any of those words mean. But he says, lex is law or rule. Orandi is praying. The law of praying, the practice of praying, follows the law of believing. Why don't Protestants not pray the rosary? Because they don't believe about Mary what we believe about her. Why do Protestants not genuflect uh, in the presence? Of, because they don't believe about their, what we believe. Why are people n not practicing and having the, the sacrament of the Eucharist in the center of their life? They don't believe it. We got to focus not on getting people to go to church. We have to hold up the most powerful, most consequential, most amazing truth that this whole world could ever be confronted with. And that is, the Eucharist is God. The Eucharist is God. There's no more consequential thing the human person has to face on this earth. The Eucharist is God. Everyone, when, when you're talking to people out there and evangelizing, 
Don't get into body, blood, soul, and divinity and all that stuff. We just need to start saying the Eucharist is God. The one who's holding the universe in existence right now is right there. The one who hung on a cross for you and died for you so you don't go to hell is right there. The Eucharist is God. And it works. When I was a young whippersnapper priest here as an associate for two years and taught up at St. Mary's Central High School with Bishop Vetter, this is what we did. When we covered the Eucharist in Mass for a week in our class, first of all, we were out of control. We were unhinged, all that stuff. And thank God we got through that. But 10 times a day to these seniors in high school, we would just scream, the Eucharist is God. The Eucharist is God. And at one point, we started saying the Eucharist is God as God is God in heaven. The Eucharist is God as God is God in heaven. That's how we explained uh, the real presence, the full presence. And then we said, and if you've been given the faith to believe that, and you, and you don't have that as the center of your life, you don't have God as the center of your life, and you're at risk. Girls cried. It was so fabulous. It's nothing a little counseling can't take care of. In fact, I've heard your rector say more than once publicly that it was simply Father Vetter and I teaching that truth that began his conversion and being faithful to Mass and from which the thoughts for the priesthood came. Good, good people, we just have to get back to that. Think about that. If the Eucharist is God, it has to be the center of my life. Then going to Mass isn't a question. It's not complicated if you have the faith. And so let us teach that with a very different tone that I'm using tonight. But teach that to kids, grandkids. When Joe Schmo, buddy of yours, doesn't go... Yeah, you just say, the Eucharist is God, that's why I go. The Eucharist is God, that's why I go. Otherwise, stuff becomes about this priest gives good homilies, this parish has nice music. It's so dumb. The Eucharist is God. It's just the most fascinating thing you could spend time thinking about. 
St. John Paul II used to talk about Eucharistic amazement. Being amazed. And he used as his example, Elizabeth. What was going on in Elizabeth's heart when Mary came for the visitation. Who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Who am I that my Lord would become bread for me? Second, everyone, this, the second little mission uh, for all of us who have the great, the great gift of believing in the real presence and adoring and being able to sit in front of Jesus and uh, be with him. I hold up um, the, second, the second little uh, mission for you is what I call the ministry of presence. I need to preach on this more. I haven't preached about it uh, effectively enough, but it's, uh, it's coming up. The ministry of presence, of being present to people and, and, and encountering, encountering God in them and them in us. Your good associate, Father Stephen, my nephew, went to uh, St. John Vianney Seminary in Denver for his spirituality year. And at some point, at some point during the spirituality year, they just send these guys off to a place in the country they don't know anything about with uh, just a couple of bucks in their pocket. Um, yeah. Um, I'm glad it, I, that wasn't part of my seminary formation. Um, and uh, he got sent to California uh, to the Missionaries of Charity House of the Dying. I think the city was Pacific, California. Spent a month there, him and uh, Father Dustin Johns when they were seminarians. And so all these beautiful sisters do every day is take uh, HIV, uh, positive homeless men into their home and love them while they die. Many of them are, were just hardened addicts, etc. Uh, until this time of their life came. And I was uh, talking to uh, Father Stephen Stephen at the time when he got done. I said, "What was uh, what was your most important lesson? What did you learn there?" And he said, uh, the importance of just being present to another person. He said, I couldn't, couldn't do a lot. Just present to them, attentive to them. Open and receptive to them. We live in a world that is so lonely and so anxious because we can't encounter another. In order to do this, one has to overcome a very basic thing in humanity, which we've all experienced many, many, many times at social events. 
Um, when us Richters get together, it's getting more and more challenging everyone. First of all, to find a facility, okay? So we're moms at 63 grandkids. I think it's 63. May have changed this week. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, and then you throw all the in-laws in, all this stuff, and you're, we're, we're hovering near 100 when we get together, our family. Well, you know, you don't get to see, uh, you don't get to see most of these people very often. And so when you come to these, when you come to these, right, there, there's, certain, there's certain people you have more in common with, blah, 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 brothers, whatever. And uh, so you want to see them. But you end up, you end up getting in a situation where you need to visit with this person. Not that I don't love visiting with everyone in my family, especially those who are here tonight. <laughs> but like, like a wedding reception, or I was at the University of Mary Fall Gala or the Trinity Fall Gala, and there's 10 people there that you just love to spend time with and you want to be with, and then you get seated at this table or somebody comes up to you and uh, they're talking to you. You would rather not. You want to be across the room with that group over there talking. And so as they're talking to you, it's kind of blah, 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 blah. How do I get around this to that person? This, everyone, is what we need to overcome. That movement is what we need to overcome. That is the first act of love we need to overcome, that we need to perform and overcome so we can be present to the one who's present to us. In fact, good people, I, I, would, uh, I would hold up to you, that is the primary disposition of prayer. I come before this one to be present to him and to let him be present to me, even if it's not exciting. But that happens a lot. One time, one time for whatever reason, I wasn't mobile, so I had to just sit at the table. And whoever came up to me is who I, right? So the drunk uncle at some point always comes up to the priest and you tie, et cetera. But you know what? It was enjoyable. Surrendering to that. Lastly, do you know the Sisters of Life? The Sisters of Life, these amazing sisters out they're now around the country, but they were started by John Cardinal O'Connor out in New York. And these women are in the battle of the, of the just whale, uh, the monster out there fighting the pro-life fight. Their charism, their charism, listen to this, their charism is simply, what I just described to you is the first step of their charism. To simply be present to the person in front of them and to 
to reject anything that's trying to distract me from being present to them. And then the second step is discovering, paying attention to what this, what in the other person moves them. Their vulnerability, their patience, their sincerity, their sheer goodness. And from that, from that goodness in them moving the sister, now they love. And listen to this. This is so brilliant. She said, because, because for us, the secret to loving is for those we love to know that we're doing what we're doing for them. Not because we're good, but because they're good. And their goodness has moved us to be good. And so for all these troubled, hurting, sinful people that come to them, their objective is for them to be a mirror to, their per, to that person, for that person to see their own goodness. I find it to be incredibly brilliantly insightful to the human person. That I'm not going to do goodness, uh, I'm not going to be good to you because, dang it, yeah, I'm good and I got to help you. No, the goodness in you moves me. To be good to you. And now we're both blessed. So good people, let us do that, huh? Let us commit with just great wonder and fascination and amazement to the fact that the Eucharist is God. The Eucharist is God. And let us be present to each other and uh, to be really stubborn and even hard on ourselves in the right way if we have to with that thing that somehow makes one think the person in front of me is an interruption, inconvenience, and not the presence of God waiting to encounter me.